passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall. And Graham, it's good to be back on the podcast. We took a week off yesterday. Uh, obviously, a lot going on. I think before we start, uh, I should say on behalf of you know yourself, myself, uh, to anybody listening to this who is uh, having a hard time after Hurricane Ian, uh, our thoughts are with you. And obviously, you know, uh, like you and I have talked about with the people on our message board over at Swamp247.com, uh, we're a community at the end of the day. So if uh, if you need to reach out, uh, find a means to do so, and and we would love to be able to help you uh, in any way that we can. So definitely, our, our thoughts are with everybody. Uh, that might be going through it right now, just with uh, what happened last week. But uh, we did return to the show. Uh, Florida played a football game, uh, moved it back to Sunday against Eastern Washington as a result of the hurricane. Uh, Let's jump into that. I think that that was an interesting game. Florida won 52-17, looked explosive on offense. Uh, But defensively, there were a couple questions about the contest about uh, Florida's potency on that side of the ball. And just the kind of the direction of things. Uh, we asked Billy Napier about it after the game. He said it was a work in progress. But first, before we get into the nitty gritty, Graham, I'm going to ask you, uh, what were some general takeaways for you from this game? Uh, lopsided affair, but that was kind of the expectation given the fact that it was uh, an SEC team against a big sky opponent. Uh, you know, move back a day, which who knows how much that affects the outcome of things. But, but let me hear your thoughts on the game overall. Yeah, it wasn't as thorough of a beatdown, in my opinion, as I think many people were expecting it to be in that contest. I think that give Eastern Washington a whole lot of credit. That's a team that won 10 games last year was coming in with, you know, I mean, not the best roster, obviously, but they did have some players ranked in 24 seven sports as team talent composite rankings. You know, that like every team, when you go out there and you manage to win games, you're going to benefit from the transfer portal. So I did think you saw an Eastern Washington team that would have been a little bit better than the one they would have faced when this game was initially scheduled back in what 2016 
it feels like that's crazy how much the game has really changed since then in my mind. I know that people look at Big Sky opponent, FCS, all these things and start thinking, okay, the team coming in here isn't going to be really able to hang with us. But for the first quarter, really, Eastern Washington's offense was able to move successfully against Florida's defense. I know it didn't really capitalize on the scoreboard, result in points on the scoreboard for the Eagles, but they were able to get that opening field goal, open the scoring against Florida. Uh, a Florida defense that was mainly comprised of a lot of starters. I know Trey Dean was out and Ventro Miller still isn't 100%, and they were rotating a lot throughout the contest. We'll get to that here a little bit more in a second. But I think that when you look at how Eastern Washington was able to have some initial success, you still kind of look at the cracks in Florida's defense and see what they need to work on moving forward. And it certainly is is not a perfect situation right now, as Billy Napier said. They have a lot that they can work on, guys that need to continue improving, have a better understanding of the scheme, their assignment, the communication aspect, obviously, at, at several levels, I think, especially there in secondary with how many young guys they used. That absolutely can improve. But overall, after the initial hiccup there, I think that you had a situation where Florida was able to establish some dominance, get off the field, stop Eastern Washington's offense, even if it wasn't initially on three and outs. They were able to you know, keep them from adding to their total throughout the game significantly and, until the final, uh, what, 10 minutes of play there. So I do think when you look at the overall picture, the overall game, you do think that despite the, the flaws, this was a game that Florida was expected to win handedly, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, I got to give you some props for being perfect on your game prediction. If you saw that on Swamp 247 before the game, you saw that Jacob Rudner completely nailed that 52-17 to 17 prediction here. So it was a huge double-digit win ultimately for Florida, 35-point win. But initially, you did see, I think, some things that Florida still needs to continue to work on as they continue to progress. Yeah, I, I think that I'm in agreement with you uh, on just kind of the flow of everything and, and my takeaway from it. I think that it was a it was a good performance, generally speaking, from Florida. But I also would say that it was an expected performance, if that makes sense, from Florida. Um, I think anything short of what it did would have would have been a severe disappointment, if not a concern uh, in this game, given the opponent. It was just obvious that that Eastern Washington was was greatly outmatched every position from an athletic standpoint, uh, from a skill standpoint. Florida was able to kind of do whatever it wanted. And so my big takeaway from the game was, I think, like you mentioned early, I was a little surprised to see Florida's defense give up as much yardage as it did. Uh, Eastern Washington, if I remember correctly, finished the contest with just under 300 yards of total offense. So, you know, does part of that come in, in garbage time towards the end of the game when it's a blowout and you have walk-ons and backups on the field if you're Florida? Of course it does. Um, and that has to be taken into account. And I think that that truthfully went into my 52-17 prediction is you're, you're, you go into it expecting you know, a late touchdown or two once it, certain people start to get into the game and the flow kind of changes a little bit. Uh, and, and it is good that Florida was able to limit Eastern Washington to just three points. Let's be clear. I mean, that is... It, it's nothing. It, it's a it's a very successful game. I think that there's also something to be said though, and and to go back to this, I think it was very profound. Uh, week one, Billy Napier after the Utah game said, you know, uh, we look at process, not results. So it's about how we got there, not what we got to. Uh, and after week one, Napier was very clear in saying that you know, it's a great win. Uh, it's a it's a huge win over a top 10 team for a program that wasn't expected to win this kind of a game. 
but the process was not good. And I think that there were areas, far fewer of them, let's just be clear, there were areas in this game where I think that the process was not up to par. And a lot of that happened on the defensive side of the ball, where, like you said, we saw some younger players get into the game. Kamari Wilson was the starting safety. Uh, Miguel Mitchell, another freshman, three-star freshman, who's been kind of a you know, quiet, impressive player so far this season. Uh, he played in his fifth game, which is a surprise, so he will not be redshirting this season uh, and actually looked quite good. So, you know, I think that there were there were moments where Florida will be frustrated, especially defensively. I think that uh, Billy Napier said that he thought his defense gave up too much yardage on the scripted downs. So early on in the game, when when Eastern Washington had the opportunity to know exactly which plays it was going to run for its first series or two, uh, Florida struggled with that. And I don't think that they should have. I think that this is kind of one of those games that you want to see your defense completely dominate. Uh, and and they did at, in parts. I just don't think it was consistent enough. Uh, let's talk about that offense, though. Uh, great game for for everybody involved, really. Uh, Florida was able to put up 52 points, uh, scores a touchdown, first play of the game. It's the first time that Florida scored a touchdown on the first play of the game in quite a while. Uh, 75-yard pass to Justin Shorter. Uh, this was, it has to have been, what people wanted to see from this Florida offense. It was quick. It Everything seemed to be in rhythm. The plays that they wanted to attempt worked. And I think the thing that was most important to me before I throw it to you is they took shots. Uh, they really tried to open it up down the field with some bigger plays, and they worked. Uh, what were your big takeaways from Florida's offense in this game? Uh, and what kind of things maybe are you looking for them to continue as we go forward uh, back into SEC play here? Yeah, if passes of 30 yards or more, which you mentioned we saw in the first play of the game, I think that's an area of the game where Anthony Richardson needs to continue to improve hitting his receiver in stride, putting that throw on the money, having, I think, plenty of space, you know, and facing this level of competition can really make a quarterback a little bit less anxious and more confident in the throw. And I think that Eastern Washington presented Anthony Richardson inadvertently, of course, an opportunity to do just that, where he could go out against an opponent and really kind of take advantage of the lack of talent in the secondary and when you have a guy like Justin Shorter, who I know that he hasn't been this incredible number one wide receiver throughout his career that everyone has really expected him to be since he was a five-star prospect and, you know, six foot five guy who played early into his career. I think that he still, you know, has a, a significant talent gap on a lot of guys and can create separation, use his, his size well. He has a large catch radius. I, I think that absolutely this guy had a chance to display what he could do against an inferior opponent. And that is going to be critical, I think, for Florida moving forward, knowing that they can do that, that they can hit guys in stride and have 75-yard catch-and-run touchdowns. Because really the big plays were very absent, I think, especially in the past game for much of the season. And I know that at Tennessee, Florida had a pair of guys go for over 100 yards, and we're talking about a week after where Anthony Richardson had the third most total offensive yards in Florida program history. So to sit here and say, hey, it's still a question whether he was able to do this does seem maybe a little bit unfair because he just did it on the road against an SEC opponent, even though it didn't result in a win. But being able to do that, just that, the explosive plays, that is what I think was largely still absent in Knoxville. You saw the long runs from Montreal Johnson. You saw guys be able to establish themselves. Anthony Richardson picked up yards with his legs in Knoxville, but you really had not seen 
Justin Shorter, Ricky Pearsall, Jaquavion Frazier's, those guys take advantage of the separation they created in the secondary, whether it was the throw being on the money, them coming down with the catch, or there really being the absence of impressive coverage. I think that you saw Florida was able to combine everything against Eastern Washington and really take advantage of it, put the whole package together. And they're going to need that moving forward. You know, Billy Napier has said that these guys are in a new system, continuing to get on the same page. And then there's the whole factor of where they were two weeks ago when Ricky Pearsall stood up and said, we really can improve when it comes to getting on the same page with our quarterback. We need to go over film review at a higher rate. I think that putting some of this stuff on film, working, altering your routine throughout the week, that's going to result in Florida continuing to improve in the downfield passing game, just like being able to go out on the first play of the game and strike for big yardage is going to do. And, and that kind of leads me to my next point before I turn it over to you. There were a lot of people wondering why Richardson returned to that game after taking a shot earlier and Jalen Kitna came in. It's because of, in my opinion, just that. Richardson is a young quarterback who needs valuable game reps, even if it comes at the risk of injury and being able to put an abundance of things on film for him is only going to aid his improvement moving forward. So I think that this was an ideal opponent to do just that against, and he was successful and had a high volume of reps. And that's what Florida was looking to accomplish in this unique Sunday environment, Jacob. It was important, I think, for him to have the outing he did with the length that the outing had. And I think that your point about how Yes, he got hurt, but there has to kind of come at some point a decision where you need to weigh, do you put him back in the game or do you call it quits here? Uh, I think that Billy Napier made the right decision. Clearly, Anthony Richardson was not badly hurt, which is a huge deal for Florida. I, I agree with the decision. At the end of the day, he only attempted 10 passes for 240 yards. He was great, uh, you know, accurate. Through one bad interception, which which Billy Napier said immediately after the game that Richardson would be sick over when he actually watched it. Uh, but other than that one mistake, I, I thought Anthony Richardson played a great game. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think only two passes of his were incomplete throughout the entirety of the contest. One he overthrew, and the other was just a a terrible decision to throw. And it was it was literally like quadruple coverage, uh, and, and got picked off. But it, but it was smart to put him back into the game. You get him more reps. Uh, especially, by the way, a guy who is not shied away from telling media members and, and really anybody who asks if he's struggling with his confidence. He said that he is. So if you have a quarterback who's struggling with confidence and is about to go into a stretch of season where you're going to play a Missouri team that took number one Georgia down to the wire, uh, a ranked LSU team, which is on a bye week, so it will be ranked when Florida meets them the following week. And then you get your bye and you go to Jacksonville and play you know, what should be top three Georgia, depending on how things continue to go for the Bulldogs, you need this guy to be confident. And so when do you get the confidence built back in? Well, it's not necessarily against Missouri because that, you don't know what's going to happen in that game. That can go in any direction it has in the past. Missouri actually holds the all-time, you know, record over Florida in the head-to-head -head series. So you don't know what you're going to get there. He's already struggled in previous SEC games before. So what do you do? You let him go and do his thing against a team like Eastern Washington, where you can run all over the field like he did on his lone scramble of the day for 45 yards. But I mean, he, he must have covered 100 yards on that run. That's that's a confidence builder. He's able to avoid tackles, uh, show off his athleticism. Uh, and, and then the same can be said for the passing game. How does it hurt him to throw for a 75-yard bomb at the outset of the game or to facilitate 
the things that need to happen around a Ricky Pearsall run for a 76-yard touchdown. That's Anthony Richardson is still very much involved in the execution of those things. And I think that for him to be able to go out there and to succeed at such a high rate and so often before actually coming out of the game in the third quarter was huge. Uh, and by the way, I should add, it was even more important because he was feeling okay enough to get back into the game. I think it was super important that he did so because you don't want him leaving the game on the note of, am I okay to go back out there? Remember, this is a quarterback that has struggled with confidence. We are trying to get this guy who has the first round build that he has the right tools back to a point where he can dominate. Well, how can he do that if A, he has a very limited game and what is, you know, I'm, in no offense do I mean this, but the easiest game of the season for Florida. Why not put him back in the game and let him cook? And B, because he had a minor injury, I think it's in your interest to put him back into the game and let him see that he's completely fine or or close to fine and, and he's capable of still going out and dominating. So uh, all around, I think that this was easily uh, Florida's most impressive game. And I'm not just saying that from a standpoint of congratulations, SEC Florida, you beat up on Big Sky Eastern Washington. I think that the sequencing of the play calling was really good. Uh, I think that the execution of what was called was excellent. Uh, and we just kind of saw Florida operate at a level that I don't know we've seen yet, which is really encouraging, I think, if you're a fan. Uh, I'm going to move on to one more uh, game subject before we kind of broaden things out here a little bit and, and, and talk season. Uh, this was a good game for Florida to kind of see what it has beyond its starting group. It's been a conversation dating back into the spring where Billy Napier has had concerns over Florida's depth. Uh, they've wondered kind of what they have in their reserves. At one point, he was saying that they really have a good first team unit, some second team players, and beyond that, it's kind of a mystery. And in this game, we got to see a lot of those reserve guys, some of whom played quite well. Jalen Kitna was excellent, in my opinion, uh, in the limited reps he received. Uh, Caleb Douglas had the one catch for 62 yards for a touchdown. Uh, that was an impressive moment. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard got out there for a little bit and, and did well in his time with the ball. Uh, what? How important is that in your mind to get the reserves on the field and then especially to have the success that they had uh, in a win? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Extremely important. And 
I think there may be even more advantages than I think a lot of people think. Let's really go through them. You know, for Richardson, let's start there. That's a guy who in previous years, the first two years that he was at Florida, you saw the glimpses of what he could do in games. And he was able to get in and get fan support and get some confidence early on because people wanted him to be in the game. That same thing can be said for a lot of players that played on Sunday against Eastern Washington. You just named one, Caleb Douglas, the amount of targets that he got in the second half, showing that he could be a, a big play uh, receiver for Florida in an offense that has struggled to really do that so far this season. Having a promising freshman wide receiver who is physically gifted, understands the offense, that is going to bode well for the future, regardless of what he does for the remaining, what, you know, six games of the season. So I think that that fact alone is massive. And the same can be said for a lot of, you know, people on this team from the offensive linemen that we saw get in the game, Jalen Farmer, Will Harrod, you know, Richie Leonard, we, we saw a lot more of him on Sunday, a guy who's been playing a large role. You talk about, yeah, obviously the defensive guys that got in the game from Derek Wingo to, Chris McClellan, who continues to play a large role. And then the linebackers, of course. Shamar James is is going to be extremely good. I think that's pretty clear, but still, he needs to get valuable in-game reps and keep working. Same with guys in the secondary, Devin Moore, a guy who can continue to improve. Getting them in the game, I think, was extremely promising for them being able to put things on film, go against maybe a little bit inferior competition to boost their confidence. And to feel, this is the most important part in my mind, and it's rarely discussed in this day and age, but we've seen recent reports coming out about it, about players who haven't played four games so far and with the transfer portal and maybe where they see their team going and how things have been for them so far, they may be considering their future at a program and getting them in the game, making them feel as if they have a spot here, can improve upon our are valued members in a program where the focus is not just the 40 regular guys that you play. I think that goes a long way. Understanding that you need to manage your freshmen correctly, whether it's playing them when they clearly have a future in the program, like a lot of the former five stars we've seen at Florida do so far, or playing them to establish that, hey, we want you to hear, we want you to return next season to Florida. Let's put right. something on film. We want to take advantage of your first year on campus, even if it's just getting you in for those four games at a minimum, because right now players are cognizant of preserving their red shirt, looking elsewhere if they're not being used. And that is something that coaching staffs have to be aware of in their game plan. As much as they want to say that they respect the opposition and they don't take any games for granted. They see a good football team on film. You have to play your inexperienced freshman in these games. And really, there were a lot of people who made this point after the USF game, where, where Florida was in that one until the final kick, that they really couldn't play an abundance of freshmen against a team that many people thought this would be a chance to come out there and see what you have in a lot of these freshmen. You go back to last year for what, Everything the coaching staff last year did do wrong, in my opinion. They did get players into the game against Florida Atlantic, USF, when those games got you know, into double digits. That's something that this coaching staff has to do. And Sunday was a good sign that they are very aware of that. They got 81 players in the game. 
I think 12 players made their collegiate debuts. Florida played 12 true freshmen, even saw Eddie Battle get some, some big chunks of yardage there. So I think that Florida, for as much as we want to talk about the result, in terms of what we should put on the report card, I do think that a category this week has to include preparing for the future. And that doesn't just include, in my mind, making sure that Richardson stays in the game and keeps putting things on film and, and boosts his confidence and becomes less anxious, as Billy Napier said uh, at the conclusion of Sunday's game. They also have to get those true freshmen in there who aren't going to make a huge impact for the most, rest, much of the rest of the season, excuse me, and understand that if they want them to be potential contributors, like a lot of the redshirt freshmen are for this team right now, Tyreek Sapp, Justice Boone, they're going to have to get those guys into this game, in, into these types of games, not to use kind of a, a cliche phrase in a sense, but they have to take advantage of that stuff. It's, it is critical to the future of the program, as you said, to be able to get uh, those guys some playing time for them to be able to see the field. Uh, and then uh, uh, what stood out to me about that opportunity, like Billy Napier said, is that it's just a healthy thing for the locker room. You get your guys into the game. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard is a phenomenal example. This is a guy who's a fifth-year junior. Uh, he's transferred. He's tried to find a better opportunity for himself. He still finds himself clearly fourth of four running backs uh, on Florida's depth chart. Uh, he That was the first time he's received a carry this season. And for a guy like that, who has, by the way, received a lot of praise for his work ethic, for him to be able to get into the game and score a touchdown, I think was important. Uh, and, and like Billy Napier said, is that translates to what goes on in between the games. That is a, a benefit to the, the weak workflow of the football team when everybody is prepared and ready and feeling good. Uh, that is obviously to a team's benefit. So I think that that was a great opportunity for Florida. They did the right thing in being able to play all of those guys as much as they did. Uh, and that is a positive overall. I will transition to this as our final segment, and that is kind of a, uh, we are nearing the halfway point that will come after Florida plays Missouri at noon on Saturday in its homecoming game. Uh, but but we are close enough where I think it warrants the conversation. Florida's 3-2 and two overall, 0-2 in the SEC. Uh, seven games left to play on its schedule. How are you feeling so far? What, what, what are the thoughts? Uh, as you and I were talking about before the podcast, I think that this was a really important win for Florida. Uh, they did the right thing, in my opinion, in playing the game instead of just canceling it due to the circumstances, uh, because I really do think that this, these are the kinds of wins that you want to just tack onto the schedule as a, a little security blanket for bowl eligibility. Uh, obviously, you need to win six games of your 12-game schedule in order to qualify for that. Uh, what, what, are, what are your takeaways through five? Yeah, this is the first quote-unquote easy game. I you know No game is necessarily easy, but I think that this is the first one that Florida has had. And it's still, I think highlighted how much this team needs to work on, you know, for everything I just said about getting young guys in the game, especially in the second half, I think that there could be a case that was made that Florida did have to keep their starters in longer than desired. Having Ventrell Miller play that game, even in general was something I think a lot of people didn't think would be necessary knowing what he's dealing with, knowing how valuable he is moving forward. This could have been a, a rest game for, for a lot of Florida players and, and maybe even Anthony Richardson in the second half, if you come out there and are up, are up what 45 zero or something at halftime, I think that a lot of people expected in a sense, Florida to get a little bit more rest considering how grueling September was and, and how even more grueling it ended up being than many people predicted it would be knowing where that USF game went. So 
I think that something could absolutely be said about Florida needing to play more of their guys right now against this Eastern Washington team to get that comfortable victory there so that they could play those second, you know, second string, third string guys in the second half. And that may be revealing of where, where Florida is at right now, more so than the Utah win in my mind, not to, not to say that that wasn't a deserved win by Florida in any, any means, because of course it was, but I do think that you are seeing at a higher rate in games against Eastern Washington and Kentucky and Tennessee, even, I think that you're seeing how in progress Florida's defense still is, especially when they're dealing with a variety of injuries to experienced guys. I think that you're seeing a unit that is not magically changed overnight, despite struggling last year at a high rate under Todd Grantham. I think that many people hoped and many people predicted that Patrick Tony, his simplified scheme, in a sense, changing I think a lot of the things that they did would just lead to kind of some overnight success without a huge personnel overhaul. And I think th through five games, aside from the results, that is, I think, pretty apparent right now. Florida still struggles, I think, at stopping the run. They Their pass rush has not been as good as I thought. I think that what we talked about with some of the concerns in the <clears throat> interior defensive line, excuse me, were have been really you know, readily apparent through this season. I think for as much praise as we gave Javon Dexter through five games, he hasn't really been thoroughly impressive in my mind. And that is, I think, been a huge issue for Florida because teams have been able to run all over on them, whether it's USF, Utah, you name it. I think, you know, and Hennon Hooker, 100 yards with his legs in, in Knoxville. So I, I think that Florida still has a lot that they need to work on. And, you know, their quarterback for as high of a ceiling as he does have still is a work in progress. And for as many people wanted to believe after that Utah win to wrap this up here, that this is a team that was a dark horse to be in a new year's six bowl, to compete in the sec, everything, you know, that came out from a prediction standpoint after that game, you've kind of seen expectations readjusted and they're back on, in my opinion, the initial trajectory that we prepared everyone for a lot of people prepared everyone for during the off season. When we went out here and said seven and five would be an impressive finish fourth in the sec. Um, you know, neither you or I, I think said that Anthony Richardson was a, a top two, top three quarterback in this league. And, you know, that is no disrespect to him because there are some really, really good teams right now. Kentucky, Tennessee being back, Georgia's dominance, the parity within the conference, everything boils down to this Florida being middle of the pack. And that may not be anything wrong with that in my mind, because look at how, look at what you're coming from. You can still see the strides, but maybe they're not as many as a lot of people hoped Florida would have made, but nothing unexpected in my mind. When I took this job, uh, in February or since I've taken this job, since I took the job in February, uh, I have come to really enjoy, uh, the Florida fan base. So let me just start with that. I, I, I think that it's a, an entertaining bunch. Uh, they really love this team, but I'm going to keep it real with you here. Florida fans. Uh, I think some of you really got to chill. Uh, I, we, you and I, Graham have been saying for what feels like months. I mean, you weren't even a part of the Swamp 247 team yet, but dating back to the spring, this was a conversation 
uh, on the podcast. It continued throughout fall camp. It continued into the season. We're about to have it again now. Uh, this team has a lot of work it has to do. Uh, and that wasn't something that Billy Napier could really control. That was something that he inherited. I think that there were clear issues with this team last year from uh, depth to uh, things like communication on the defensive side of the ball to how organized and disciplined and mature uh, the team could be on the field in terms of taking on bad penalties, in terms of decision-making. There were issues, and they were well-documented issues. And to Billy Napier's credit, he took on almost all of those things. There's very little change within this roster. Some of its better players statistically are no longer on the team. Anthony Richardson is a first-year full-time starting quarterback, which I think a lot of people wanted after last year anyway. So this is what people desired after last season. And beyond that, it's really the same team. And so I don't know how people could have reasonably expected Billy Napier to come in and change everything overnight, because again, he inherited a ton of issues. And so I think that this is Florida is where it needs to be. And I don't know how anybody really, this is the truth, could judge it more than that. I We've seen the you know, there's been the fire Patrick Tony garbage. I hate to call it that, but we've seen that garbage all over social media. Uh, it's been a message board topic. And I think it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Florida is doing what it can to be successful given the circumstances. And I think if you recalibrate expectations based on what Billy Napier inherited and the challenges associated with that, it's been about as expected so far. Kentucky has been a very good team. Uh, you know, they've had their struggles as well, but I would say that they are definitively more consistently better than Florida is so far this season. They beat Florida. Florida has a top 10 win over a team like Utah. That counts for something. Uh, they play Tennessee down to the wire, get an onside kick. You're literally one play away from either winning or potentially tying that game if things go a little bit differently before that. Uh, Tennessee is a top 10 team for sure. Like Tennessee is playing great. Um, uh, and so for me, I don't, I don't know how, if, if we had told you, you were going to be three and two through five weeks and you pick the two losses, I think you're pretty satisfied. Do I understand that there is a history and a rivalry and, and, you know, emotion tied to the losses to Kentucky and Tennessee? A hundred percent. And I understand that it's the first time that Florida's lost to both of those teams in the same season since the fifties. That is a big deal. I understand it. I can, I can. I get that it hurts, but I don't think that it's a knock on the efforts of this coaching staff, which at the end of the day, in my opinion, is doing everything it could have done. Uh, and we are seeing progress. I think the offense in this game against Eastern Washington was a prime example of that. Uh, you know, they took a clear step forward. I think now it comes down to let's see the defense clean up a couple of these mistakes because I have been, I would think it's fair to say, reasonably unimpressed so far with Florida's defense. I think that they've made more mistakes then they have plays that have really impressed me. I think that there have been some individual performances that have gone really well, but I think as a whole, there's been a lot left to be desired. So that maybe is my focus as we go into the second half of the season here, uh, you know, closing out the first half, actually trying to see if Florida's defense can maybe take a step forward in a couple areas. But again, I'll reiterate this before we close things out here. I do think Florida is actually in a fine position. I would say that Billy Napier is doing as good a job as he could, uh, given the circumstances in his first year. Uh, Graham, I will throw the the, uh, the mic back to you one more time. 
any final thoughts as we wrap up this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast? Uh, again, it is Missouri week. Uh, we also have college basketball stuff going on. So if you want to tie some of that stuff in, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, I agree. Three and two. I think you told people that at the beginning of the season heading into this Missouri game. I think a lot of people would have taken that. Maybe they wouldn't have been enthusiastic about it necessarily, but I think that you can understand that if you have been intricately following this team, as we know a lot of people in this community are. So I think absolutely it makes a whole lot of sense. These next two weeks, I think, will tell a lot because Missouri and LSU two opponents that have not been thoroughly impressive in my mind, although LSU has certainly improved and has a mobile quarterback, which is something Florida has struggled with this season. So I think absolutely in the next two weeks, we'll be able to, as we look at this bye week have a much more clear picture of where this Florida team is at. And if they are sitting here at possibly five and two heading into a bye week I think that our, we'll be, you know, whistling a different tune here because that is in my mind is very impressive. If Florida can end up, getting back and, and winning those SEC games, knowing how they've started in the conference, that is going to, I think, tell a lot. If they end up starting 0-4 in the SEC or 1-3 and in the SEC, then we again are going to, you know, re, re-navigate this conversation here in a sense. But right now, after five weeks, I, I think that, yeah, I'll just echo what you said. I think that it makes a whole lot of sense considering – what we've been saying and what we knew coming into this season. So make sure you're following us at Swamp 247. Lots of football content coming up. We'll also have a Missouri preview podcast later in the week. A lot of written content as well. When we talk to Billy Napier tomorrow, we're recording this right now, Tuesday morning. We'll be talking to Billy Napier tomorrow during the SEC teleconference. And then again at night at 6.30 p.m. And then as Jacob mentioned, a lot of basketball content since Florida opened preseason camp. A week ago, we have written content, VIP content, practice notes and observations. Jacob has had some breaking news. I've reported on some facility changes for where Florida basketball is going to play. Everything is at Swamp 247, the best site for Florida Gators coverage. So make sure you stay tuned to that. And we plan on doing, as soon as we get some time here, we plan on doing a basketball podcast as well. So look forward to that. So a lot to look forward to and a lot to check out at Swamp247.com. Look at there, you're stealing my money, uh, taking away my 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 outro, previewing all the things we've got going on at Swamp 247. It makes it easier for me, though. Uh, as Graham said, though, you know, definitely make sure you go over and check us out. Uh, also, I should say thank you to the people who signed up uh, during our recent promotion. Uh, obviously, we appreciate that. And we would still encourage you, even though we're not uh, running that 50% off deal anymore, uh, sign up. You know, it's still worth your worth your money for sure. Uh, we have inside information, like Graham said, all the time over on the message board. Uh, we post it in stories as well. Uh, and we enjoy interacting with you too. So hop on into the uh, Swamp 247 message board. Uh, very lively, massive community of people. Uh, and, and we are active on there as well. So we would love to see you uh, participating. And one more thing that Graham did not say in his, uh, in his pseudo outro, make sure you subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, like this video, subscribe, drop us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking and how you're feeling about Florida football. We would love to hear it. Uh, and then obviously we appreciate you uh, listening, those of you on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, so make sure that you uh, stay tuned. And without further ado, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. As Graham said, I will reiterate, we are planning on doing a basketball podcast. It was planned for last week, uh, but given the circumstances, we decided to postpone. Uh, and we will try and get that to you as soon as we can. Again, preseason practices are underway. Also, stay tuned 
for a Missouri preview podcast later on this week. But for this episode, that is it. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Graham Hall. We will see you on the next one. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.